rocks and ramble. If you've come back for a fourth episode, thanks. I never thought I'd make it to four of these. I also never thought 114 people would listen to it. So, greetings to those of you from New York, Ohio, Georgia, Tennessee, that state up north, California, West Virginia, Indiana, and I guess Gutentag to those of you in Germany. So that's pretty awesome. For those who have found themselves at this little project for the first time, this podcast is all about connections. For our purposes, it's the connections between geology and lots of other things like history, pop culture, or anything else that is interesting enough to talk about for 10 to 20 minutes. I hope you also find it interesting and decide to look deeper into the subject matter, but I warn you, as I have found doing these podcasts, the rabbit hole is often quite deep, and rarely do we find answers that do not lead to more questions. The hard part is to decide where to stop digging, and it was really hard to stop digging in this episode, so please bear with me. My wife told me I should point out that I play all the songs in the intro and the interludes. I try to learn a portion of a song that relates to each episode. I am not a musician by trade, definitely by boredom, and I am definitely not a qualified sound engineer. But I have enjoyed learning how to use simple sound editing software recently. But I do apologize for any lack of quality. Hey, it's all part of the process and the fun, I suppose. If you recognize the songs I play, cool. If not, well, I'm sure you're not the only one, and I promise not to have my feelings hurt. So, with that, let us begin. Episode 4, Nature Points Out the Folly of Man. This podcast will attempt to describe atolls, specifically Bikini Atoll of the Marshall Islands, located in the Pacific Ocean, which was the location of 23 nuclear bomb tests carried out by the United States until operations stopped in 1958. By discussing the formation of atolls and Bikini Atoll specifically, I hope to shed light on the tests that were done there and connect them to one of the greatest movie monsters of all time. Of course, we're talking about Godzilla. Now this story will involve brief topics of war, bombings, and acts of aggression. I will attempt to stay neutral in these discussions. Placing blame and arguments of right and wrong will be left to those who have far more training and knowledge than I. The subject matter also involves words from other cultures, such as the Japanese, Russians, and the Marshall Islands. I have enough problems pronouncing words in my native English, so any mispronunciations are unintended but inevitable occurrences, and I apologize in advance. Most of my information is obtained from reading, and pronunciation guides are very rarely included. So why discuss Godzilla? Well, as a youngling, I grew up in a rural Midwestern town. Our main shopping option was a local department store uh, called Kmart, or Kmart's, if you're from my branch of the Buckeye Tree. For many of you, I have just revealed my age, by the way, to be somewhere between Sears and Target, but I digress. At this Kmart, my parents bought me two rubber dinosaur figures. At the time, I did not know the names of these two creatures. They both looked vaguely Tyrannosaurus Rex-like, and for an eight-ish year old kid who loved dinosaurs, they were awesome. I played with them in the bathtub, the sandbox, my living room, and my backyard. I didn't know who or what they were, but they were cool, and they fought many battles against each other and my unfortunate G.I. Joes. Little did I know that I was recreating Godzilla movies in my living room. One day, I saw a movie on TV of two men in costumes. One was dressed as an ape, uh, later learned that that was King Kong, and the other was my action figure, Godzilla in the flesh, or plastic, or, or rubber, or whatever. 
I now had a name for the action figure in my hand, and that meant the other guy had a name as well, and I had to know it. But when I went to my computer and got on the internet, I realized my quest was impossible. You see, I wouldn't have a computer or the internet for another 12 years. So, there's that. My only other option was to take my freshly minted library card and ride my bicycle to my local branch and do some hard research. This research was accelerated when I realized my library would allow me to borrow VHS home movies. And they had the whole lineup of Showa-era Godzilla movies. Now these were movies made from 1954 to 1975, and I watched all of them. Godzilla 1954, Godzilla Raids Again, Godzilla vs. Godzilla, Godzilla vs. King Kong, and many others. I was hooked. I'm still hooked. I bet some of you are too. In this podcast, I will attempt to explain the connection between a small island group in the South Pacific, the fear of nuclear war, the origin of swimsuits, a possible cover-up surrounding a pineapple under the sea, and of course, our greatest destroyer and protector, Godzilla. This one might take more than 10 minutes. Bear with me. So, the geology section. The formation of atolls. Atolls are the remains of ancient sea volcanoes. Envision a volcanic eruption at the bottom of the seafloor, hundreds of feet below the surface. As this magma seeps through cracks in the crust, it cools and begins to build a seamount, or an underwater volcano. As this process continues, the seamount eventually breaks the surface of the ocean and creates an island. The present-day Hawaiian islands of the United States are great examples of this. After many years, the source of lava may stop. At this point, the island volcano begins to shrink due to weathering and erosion. This however creates shallow regions around the island, and corals begin to colonize these shallows, creating a reef around the island called a fringe, and as it gets larger, we call it a barrier reef. See, corals are animals, and most reef-building corals contain photosynthetic cells called zooanthellae uh, that live in their tissues. The corals and these special cells have a mutualistic relationship, but the zooanthellae need that shallow water so that light can reach them, allowing them to perform photosynthesis. The shallow water between the barrier reef and the remains of the island is called a lagoon. Man, life is weird. Well, eventually the island may disappear completely, leaving just the reef, uh, which begins to collect sediment and the remains of broken down corals, and often results in a circular ring of semi-connected islands surrounding a shallow, calm lagoon. We call this formation an atoll. Imagine those scenes from the beginning of Gilligan's Island in 1950s. Uh, that opening shot was an atoll. I believe it was called Fanning Island. Now, Bikini Atoll, specifically, is a circular chain of 23 islands surrounding a 229-square-mile central lagoon. The volcano that created the atoll was formed between 140 and 68 million years ago during the Cretaceous period. Um, this is the period of dinosaurs. It was created to a, to a magma hotspot located in this region. Bikini Atoll is part of the Republic of the Marshall Islands, which consists of 29 coral atolls and five uh, islands. Bikini Atoll is located approximately 2,645 miles from Hawaii, 3,000 miles from Papua New Guinea, and 3,000 miles from the coast of Japan in the Pacific Ocean. This isolation is part of why it was chosen as a nuclear test site. The name Bikini is actually an English version of the German name for the island. Uh, the Germans purchased the Marshall Islands in 1885 from Spain. 
the Marshallese name of the island is Pekini with a P instead of a B. I will continue with the English version since most know it by that name. In 1944, near the end of World War II, American forces took control of the Marshall Islands from the Japanese who had occupied it during the war. After the end of the war, in December of 1945, uh, then-President Harry S. Truman requested that the United States uh, begin testing the effectiveness of mili- sorry, the effectiveness of nuclear weapons in naval warfare. Bikini Atoll was chosen due to its remoteness and distance from sea travel routes uh, and other large populations. However, there were people living on the island at the time. In 1946, the 167 inhabitants of Bikini Atoll were asked to temporarily leave the homes so that nuclear tests could be run on the island for the quotation marks, good of all mankind, and to end all world wars. This temporary removal, more quotation marks by the way, resulted in the inhabitants' relocation to various other islands in the region and periods of starvation and isolation. Uh, that lasted until the early 1970s when they were allowed to return to the atoll only to be removed again in 1978 when it was discovered the island was still uninhabitable and that the people were being exposed to dangerous levels of radiation from the environment. To this day the island is uninhabited and the soil contains high levels of cesium-137. This is a leftover byproduct of nuclear testing. This makes any food grown on the island, especially their famous coconuts, poisonous to consume. It does appear at this point that the population's removal is not so temporary. So what happened on the atoll? Well, between the years of 1946 and 1958, the United States detonated 23 nuclear devices on the atoll. The first of these were part of Operation Crossroads and consisted of blasts Abel and Baker. Abel was an atomic bomb dropped and detonated in the air above the atoll. This blast sank five of the 95 naval vessels in the lagoon, and the resulting radiation killed 35% of the 5,400 test guinea pigs, mice, pigs, goats, and white rats, which were placed on vessels near the blast. The second test, Test Baker, was detonated underwater, creating a huge tidal wave that destroyed eight ships and created a crater at the atoll, which is still visible. Of the 23 detonations on Bikini Atoll, 20 of them were hydrogen bombs. Hydrogen bombs are far more powerful than atomic fission bombs, like the ones dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. Test shots Abel and Baker were also fission bombs. These bombs split atomic nuclei in order to release massive amounts of energy. However, fusion bombs, which are also known as hydrogen bombs, thermonuclear bombs, or H-bombs, are devices that combine atomic nuclei. They fuse them and release massive amounts of energy. These devices are far more dangerous and destructive than their counterpart fission bombs. On March 1st of 1954, test shot Castle Bravo was detonated on Bikini Atoll. Bravo was a thermonuclear bomb and relied on this process of fusion, which is the same process that powers the sun and the stars. So obviously creating a small sun anywhere on the earth is extremely bad idea and also very destructive. At the time, this test was the largest in U.S. history and was approximately 1,000 times more powerful than the little boy atomic bomb that was detonated over Hiroshima. The blast and the resulting fallout spread radioactive debris over 7,000 square miles. This blast in 1954 and the resulting fallout affected not only Bikini Atoll, but also the surrounding islands. 
The fallout became known as the Ashes of Death. I know. Dramatic, right? But it does get the point across. This radioactive debris fell on the islands as a light powder. Children played in it, and water sources were contaminated before those exposed became sick with the signs of radiation poisoning. Another unintended victim of the fallout was a Japanese fishing vessel known as the Lucky Dragon No. 5. This crew of 23 men were exposed to the, or sorry, were exposed to the Castle Bravo blast and fallout. In the weeks that followed their return to Japan, the members of the crew also suffered from acute radiation syndrome, and one of the members died from complications. The Lucky Dragon incident, as it became known as, I know, it's a great band name though, and the remaining fear from the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki at the end of World War II contributed to a palatable anxiety in Japanese society as it related to nuclear arms. This fear was given substance in late 1954 with a monster movie called Gojira, or what would become known as Godzilla. In 1954, with the atomic bombings of the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki by the United States less than a decade in the past, and the recent Lucky Dragon incident still dominating the news in Japan, writer and director Ishiro Honda and co-writer Shigeru Kiyama introduced the world to Kajira, who would go on to be known as Godzilla. The original name for the beast in the Japanese combined the two words for gorilla and whale and the monster was inspired by recent news of the Castle Bravo hydrogen bomb tests on Bikini Atoll. The origin story for Godzilla in this first movie in 1954, which was released by Japanese Toho Studios, centered on a beast from the Jurassic period being awakened by nuclear testing in the Pacific. The movie begins with a fishing ship being lost at sea while witnessing an hydrogen bomb explosion, a scene that seems to reference the Lucky Dragon No. 5 incident. Later in the movie, Godzilla ravages Tokyo, which is, like, so Godzilla, in scenes meant to parallel the attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. In these early movies, Godzilla is the result of nuclear weapons, to the extent that he is shown with severe keloid scars. Now, these scars are the results of radiation exposure, and they result in raised and tuberous scars. They affected up to 60% of those that were exposed to the heat and radiation of the nuclear blasts in Japan. Godzilla and his attacks on the cities of Japan also shows the destructive power that Japan feared from nuclear attacks. Ironically, Godzilla is destroyed in the first movie by the oxygen destroyer bomb, another weapon of mass destruction. But don't worry, it turns out there are actually two Godzillas, as we find out in the next movie. Godzilla Raids Again. Toho Studios has released 32 movies starring Godzilla. The initial movies in Japan were met with tears due to the obvious parallels to the nuclear attacks on Japan for a generation that still remembered the war. In America, the movies were initially scoffed at as poorly done, but these American versions were heavily edited, and the underlying responsibility for the origins of Godzilla, or Godzillas, 
as it related to hydrogen bomb tests carried out by the United States was heavily scrubbed from these additions. Again, you can draw your own conclusions on who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. The United States has released four movies to date, with several other movies planned. The most recently released movies by the Legend Production Company have been met with mostly positive reviews, uh, from myself included. Uh, these included a revamped version of my first Godzilla movie, Godzilla vs. King Kong. But if we can, let me spend one moment on the 1998 TriStar Pictures movie starring not Godzilla, not Mothra, not King Ghidorah, but Matthew Broderick. Now listen, I love Matthew Broderick. I still think high school students worldwide should get one day a year to skip school and go to Wrigley's Field and see a Cubs game, or even better yet, go to American Ballpark for a Reds game. And we should call this day Ferris Day. But I still remember the previews for that first Godzilla movie in 98. Um, no Godzilla, but a lot of Matthew Broderick. Again, I love Broderick. Give me a movie about a 300-foot-tall Matthew Broderick ravaging New York City, and I am all in. But an iguana-based Godzilla that was created by nuclear testing in the French Polynesians, which of course had nothing to do with the United States, well, I was greatly disappointed. Then there were those Godzilla Taco Bell commercials with the Chihuahua. What the heck? Yo quiero el verdadero Godzilla. After the release of the 1998 movie, Toho Studios thought it was so bad, as did most people, that they made Godzilla Final Wars in 2000. In this movie, the American version of Godzilla, or Zilla as he was referred to in the movie, is absolutely murdered in about 46 seconds of screen time with a well-placed atomic breath from the OG Godzilla in Sydney, Australia. Needless to say, Godzilla has gone through many versions. The seriousness of the 1954 version and the sequel to the primetime wrestling awesomeness of the 1973 Godzilla tail slide. The Toho versions have always had heart and faithfulness to the original story, and without the deeper meaning and symbolism of Godzilla's origin, uh, the movies are just another cheesy monster flick. I feel, however, that Godzilla is more than just a series of cool movies. Uh, that Godzilla and the multitude of kaiju, uh, which are these giant Japanese-inspired monsters, um, they represent a common human need to explain, make substance of, or personify, or in this case, I guess it's um, monstrify, our fears. Uh, the Greeks and the Romans have performed this function in the past with their gods. Um, Ares or Mars representing uh, fears of war, Orcus or Hades representing death, Poseidon and Neptune representing uh, the unpredictableness of the sea, as well as countless other gods from countless other cultures. Godzilla and his gallery of other giant monsters represent modern day fears. Godzilla himself, of course, representing the fear of nuclear bombs and fallout. King Ghidorah, who is a three-headed dragon space kaiju, uh, no, seriously, he comes from space, and he is absolutely amazing. Uh, but he represents the threats from outer space and the chaos that can come from there. Hedorah represents the threat of toxic pollution. Mechagodzilla represents fears of automation and technology. Uh, Biolante represents the fears of genetic engineering. And, uh, and many others represent many other different types of threats from a more modern perspective. Now, I could talk about Godzilla forever, I'm going to cut myself short here so that we may discuss more important topics. 
top secret topics, pineapple under the sea topics. Sandy was in the room when it happened. The nuclear tests at Bikini Atoll were not well-held secrets. Large percentages of the world's camera equipment and film were used to film and document these explosions, and the results were shown to the American people in newsreel footages as a type of propaganda. The Soviets were even allowed to send observers such as Simon Peter Alexandrov, who was a member of the Soviets' own nuclear effort. Alexandrov claimed that he was not impressed by the test. Okay, comrade, I am sure you were underwhelmed. One thing that escaped the film and observers, however, was the bottom of the lagoon. According to a popular theory, the tests at Bikini Atoll created an unintended consequence. A.H. Stewartvent was a scientist at the California Institute of Technology, and as early as 1955 was bringing to light not only the effects of high-energy radiation on living things, but also how this radiation might affect an exposed individual's offspring through the process of non-lethal mutations in germ cells. Through my intensive research, I have discovered that a popular children's television series may be a commentary on the effects of the Bikini Island tests. Let me present the facts as I know them before our government shuts me down. Location, Bikini Bottom, most likely located in the lagoon of, you guessed it, the Bikini Atoll. Primaries involved, mutated sea life, specifically a sponge, sea star, crab, extremely small whale, squid, and a squirrel. I'm obviously referencing the popular Nickelodeon cartoon Spongebob Squarepants. It came across this popular theory while researching this podcast and couldn't resist including it. The theory states that the show is set at the bottom of the ocean near Bikini Bottom, and that the main characters are mutated forms of sea life caused by the nuclear testing at the Bikini Atoll. What about Sandy Cheeks, the squirrel that lives in Bikini Bottoms, you might ask? Well, the theory explains her presence as a survivor of the 5,400 test animals placed on naval ships during the Abel and Baker tests. The creators of SpongeBob have continued to neither confirm nor deny this theory, just like the government would probably tell them to. Huh. Interesting. Well, you be the judge. So, here's a surprise. In college, I had three posters in my room. A Yoda poster, a Bruce Lee poster, and you guessed it, a poster of 1954 Godzilla. I'm not sure what these posters say about me, but I still look back on them and smile to myself. I didn't realize then the dark origins of Godzilla and nuclear testing and bombs, but now feel that the movie brings to light many of the ideas and fears that permeated not just Japan, but also the United States, Russia, and the rest of the world during the Cold War. It does make me worry, however, about the origins of Yoda and Bruce Lee. Well, some things are best left unknown, I suppose. One last thing about the testing on Bikini Atoll before I give you my sources. On July 5, 1946, French designer Louis Riard showed a two-piece swimsuit at a swimming pool in Paris. I assume some 13-year-old French boy said ooh la la at some point during the unveiling. The suit was controversial in that it revealed the navel of the person wearing it. Riard claimed that this was the smallest swimming suit ever created, and he named it after the atomic test that occurred earlier that week on July 1st, 
1946 on, you guessed it, Bikini Atoll. So there you go. Atolls, Godzilla, Spongebob, and bikinis. Not a bad job if I do say so myself. Thanks for listening. Be careful looking under those pineapples under the sea. You never know which mutated sea life you might find. Hopefully it's a sponge, but it might be a Godzilla. My considerable sources for this episode are the National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration website, University of Hawaii website, What Bikini Atoll Looks Like Today, an article on stanfordmagazine.org by Sam Scott, bikiniatoll.com, nationalgeographic.org, unesco.org, World Heritage Sites, history.com, nuclearmuseum.org, Time Life article from March 29, 1954, titled The Ashes of Death, imdb.com, thebritishmuseum.org, the always repeatable nickalive.net, um, article 1955, The Genetic Effect of High Energy Irradiation of Human Populations, um, by A.H. Stewart Vent from the journal Engineering and Science. The Godzilla Factor, Nuclear Testing and Fear of Fallout, a paper by Tony Perrine from Grand Valley State University, 1997. Lyrics.com, Wikizilla, that's right, a wiki devoted to just Godzilla. Man, I spent some time on that one. And of course, general information obtained from Wikipedia. So if you're still listening, I almost forgot to tell you the name of the second monster figure that I had as a child. Um, his name was Gigan, and he was a space monster cyborg uh, with a saw blade uh, embedded in his chest and stomach that he could spin to attack Godzilla and these giant hook hands. Uh, pretty awesome. Made his first debut in, of course, Godzilla versus Gigan. So uh, that mystery is solved. Um, thanks for joining me, and hopefully I'll talk to you next time.